Um, is actually a very clear representation of how God has been from the beginning, right, throughout the scriptures. And I want to ask you a question that you shouldn't answer, and you shouldn't actually ever do this exercise, because it's ungodly and would involve a lot of lack of graciousness and stuff. But I just want you to pretend you went for a job, and this job required some sort of moral trustworthiness. And and the people who went in the job, they said, said, okay, we're not going to get a normal resume from you. I just want you to give 10 people from your family tree, and we're going to investigate them, and we're going to try and judge how good you are based on those 10 people. And if I were to ask you, who would you include and who would you leave out? Now, don't ever do this exercise. Incredibly not nice. Like, incredibly ungracious, not good, don't do it. But you'd have to think, okay, who would represent me morally in the best light to have these people listed Um, as the people to go to. They're going to try and make a judgment about me through these people. Um, And um, one thing thing that isn't read often in Christmas service is the genealogy in Matthew, the the list of names, which, and it's a fascinating genealogy because one, it doesn't include everyone in Jesus' life. It actually chooses people specifically to include. And the other thing is, so this is a culture where, where family tree really matters. They really think that you inherit your inherit part of your, your your faith, your tradition, your character through the people you've come from. And so when Matthew's putting together this genealogy, this is about representing Jesus, right, in the way that he's choosing to. And what's fascinating about this genealogy is it's just a little off. Like he chooses to accentuate the types of things you might want to sweep under the rug. Um, so for a starter, and this is a good thing, Um, and is in line with how Jesus is. But the fact that he includes a few women is actually kind of countercultural in and of itself, a lot of um, academics think, because, like, in that culture, the testimony of a woman wasn't as highly regarded. It was like this. Um, And and so straight away, women are honoured in the genealogy. So we have about four women mentioned, if you exclude Mary at the end, who are mentioned. But it gets really weird when you think of who he includes. So the first woman he decides to highlight, so he wants to highlight this part of the story of where Jesus comes from, is Tamar. Now, we can't even talk about the Tamar story because there's kids present. It's never been done at Sunday school. It's crazy. Do you guys know the Tamar story? Do you know? Like, Judah has a bunch of sons with wives and Tamar's one of those wives and, and her husband dies which isn't nice, and in that culture, because you know, it's like destitution if you're unmarried without children, so the laws is, well, one of the brothers has to marry her, and the other brother marries her, and he, things don't go well for him either, and then the, and then the, the father says, right, no one's marrying you, right, no one's marrying, you're done, and, and, she, and, the, and she dresses her as a woman from a particular line of work, um, and tricks the father into having a child, and she has twins, one of them's names is Perez, and that's the line that Jesus comes through. Now, there was other kids God could have gone through, and yet, for some reason, God decided to go through the most complicated, messy line, and, then, and Matthew chose to make a big deal about it. What is he doing? Okay, well, the next woman mentioned is Ruth. Is Ruth an Israelite? No, she's a Moabite. Okay, so you want to emphasize, when you're trying to impress all these fellow Jews, okay, you want to emphasize a scandal, 
You want to emphasize a foreigner? That's where we're going with this. There were, what about Rebecca? Emphasize her, woman of faith, Israelite. Doesn't mention her. Chooses to mention Tamar. Chooses to mention Ruth. Chooses to mention Rahab. Who's Rahab? Another person from a particular line of work. Um, who is in the streets of Jericho and the Israelites are about to take over Jericho and she um, and she's housing hides these Israelites from from the city so so that they're protect, protected and not arrested and um, and basically God saves Israel through the actions of Rahab and she joins the Israelites but so far I mean imagine if you were if you were sitting there as a Jew judging the validity of Jesus and this is what you've been given you want me to Okay, foreign scandal, dodgy line of work in a foreign nation, okay. And then, okay, maybe he'll improve. Maybe he'll, 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 the fourth person he mentions is Uriah, Uriah's wife. Does anyone know who that is? That's Shiva. Well, that's a wonderful thing to emphasize. What's he doing in this Christmas genealogy? He's emphasizing, it is literally like if you were going for that job, you try and find all the worst scandals in your family's history, put them down on a paper and go, here you go. What is God doing? It is insane. It seems insane to us. And we, you know, and for those who don't know the story of Bathsheba, because one of the things the genealogy does that's really, really important is it shows that Jesus is from the line of David, because that's a prophecy, right? So they're trying to prove this is the Messiah that was talked about. But he could have made that point in a much cleaner path, just avoiding certain people. But he decided to let, we're just going to charge through the mess. We're just going to make it really known here. And if you know, Bathsheba is David's worst moment. Absolutely. I don't think you could argue that. Did he have a worse moment than that? You know, he's not participating in the battle. He, he has an affair. He has the husband dealt with to cover up his sin. Worst part of David's history, I reckon, for sure. And, and Matthew says, hey, let's shine the spotlights on these things. Let's, let's bring this out. Let's, let's... But when you think about the Christmas story, it is consistent with what Jesus is all about. It is consistent. Jesus did not come for the perfect, from the perfect line, without the, without the scandals, without the mistakes. Did he, he didn't come for that. In fact, he worked through Mary and Joseph in a very messy way. I wouldn't have liked to be Joseph telling Mary's dad that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't want to do that. That wouldn't go down very well. I wouldn't want to walk, and they estimate it's about 100 kilometers walk to Bethlehem because of some silly Roman rule where I have to go to be counted when I'm nine and a bit months pregnant or whatever she was. I don't want to do that. Maybe, I don't know how pregnant she was. I'm, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. She was very pregnant. Um, and then um, and they get to Bethlehem. Um, then we know that from the people present, there were shepherds, outsiders. So of course you're going to talk about Ruth. Of course you're going to talk about people like that. We have the wise men. Who are they? They're foreigners. That's who the wise men are. They're important people from foreign lands. So of course you're going to emphasize that. And then and so and and we know that Mary's family, that Herod tries to, you know, get Jesus, and they are actually asylum seekers. 
And so we have this whole story shrouded in the mess of this world. And it's because of this point. When God says he is here to be with us, he really means it. I am here to be with you as you are, as the broken people you are. And this is wonderful news, isn't it? It's wonderful news. Um, there's another woman in the Old Testament, and I particularly, maybe her, what she says is one of my favorite verses. But you guys, she's the first jilted woman in the Bible, Hagar, absolutely treated horribly by Abraham and Sarah, used, um, and then basically, because Sarah becomes jealous of it, gets kicked out of the family, is this destitute woman, and God gives her special attention. An angel of the Lord comes to her, and do you remember what she says? Now I have seen the God who sees me. Now I have seen the God who sees me. And so I want you to think about Christmas as the time where God demonstrated in the most powerful way possible that he sees us and that he is with us and that he is one with us. And when he asks us to follow you, when he asks you to follow him, and this is what I wish if there was something that Australian non-Christians could understand, because I think for whatever reason they have this view of God that he's this kind of aloof character that says, follow me, and, you know, just judges us from afar. But actually what we know at Christmas time is that there is a distance between us and God, and God makes the move to cover the distance. God makes the move to come to us, to see us, to know us, to forgive us, and then ask us to follow Him. That it's, that's, that's the picture we have of God at Christmas time. That for the Hagars of this world, for the Tamars of this world, for, for the people who are used, like Bathsheba, for, for the people who are unseen, who are, who are labelled foreigners, this God is a God who is happy to go to them. They are happy to go to them and say, I am with you, I see you, come and follow me. Is that a good message this Christmas? Absolutely. And so in this community, um, one thing um, as being the pastor, you, you have this kind of broad awareness. There was just so many private, hard things in this community, really hard things. A lot of it unseen by most of you. Right? That's just the nature of it. But people have these hard struggles in the background. And my, my message to you is that God sees it. And He is with you. And He will be with you if you choose to follow Him. Because He's, he's come all the way. He's come all the way to us so that He could be that type of God to follow. So I just want, may, may that encourage you this Christmas. That you may follow the God who has come to be with you first. Um, so let's pray, and then David's going to lead us in one more song. And um, yeah, and then we'll say a little greeting to each other and be on our way for whatever you've got for today. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're not the type of God who is interested in, in appealing to the very worst things of human, human nature. Judgmentalism, aloofness, pride. But you actually are a God that was happy to come into this world in a messy way, through messy people. And, um, and that you come to those messy people, which includes us, it turns out. You come to those messy people and say, see, I've come to you. See, I see you. See that I've walked in your shoes. Now will you follow me? Now will you yoke yourself to me and let me lead you in this life? Won't you let me forgive you now that I've come to you, now that I see you, Lord? I pray that in all the noise around Christmas, that in this weird time of COVID, that many Australians will see your love this this Christmas. We'll see what a good God you are.
will see that there is a God out there that sees them and is willing to leave them where they're at. Oh Lord, we pray this and that this truth of this God will fill our hearts and encourage us this year and this day. And I just thank you for my brothers and sisters that are gathered with me here today, but we also thank you for the many brothers and sisters who encourage us in this community. And, and for all those who feel a little left out, who feel a little, I guess, destitute and struggling and and um, perhaps like um, they're unseen, Lord, may this be a, a day where that message of the God who sees them is particularly powerful. And we ask this in your great name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we've got David leading us in one more song, and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get out of here for whatever you've got going on.